Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Hi, and welcome welcome to to Mark My Words. Words. I've got David Kemp here, the illustrious planning consultant um, who I've interviewed previously on this uh, this podcast, this show. Um, He's got many decades of experience in planning. He's worked within Council, so he's sort of sat on the other side of the fence, especially in a sort of legal perspective. Uh, perspective rather than being an officer, um, he's been the sort of barrister that they've uh, used when it started to get a little bit smelly for them. So he really knows the law. He's got a, a lot of sort of granular knowledge in this area. And um, so, David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. Thank you. So, lots of our listeners like to know about permitted development rights. Um, they allow you to convert buildings without obtaining planning permission. Um, they really got going under George Osborne and David Cameron. The Conservatives started to accelerate the, the introduction of new permitted development rights. Um, offices were the big one. You didn't need plan permission and you still don't to convert most offices in most areas into residential. So, David, um, tell us, is, is permitted development still relevant? Um, and what are the new um, sort of permitted development rights that are being or have been introduced recently? Yeah, definitely still relevant, Mark. I think that um, when you're looking at permitted development, prior approval, and what's happening generally at the moment, there's sort of two things that are happening. There are some of the permitted developments and prior approvals which that were already out there. They have been saved. Uh, so, for instance, with house extensions, um, you've been able to extend uh, at ground floor on um, some houses. So for instance, if it's a terraced house or if it's a semi-detached house, you can go up to three metres at the back, but then you can do a super long extension ground floor to double that to six metres instead, and for detached houses to eight metres instead of just four metres. So that was a temporary right It was due to end in May 2019. That's now been extended. That's now permanent. And and there's a consultation process. You have to put a form into the council and the neighbours get consulted. That's right. And that's a very good point to raise because a lot of people don't realise that. It's a two-stage process. You have to apply for prior approval to the council first, who will um, consult with just the immediate neighbours, so just the neighbours who share a boundary with that particular property shouldn't be anyone any further away from that. If there are no objections, then you have to put in an application for a certificate of lawfulness um, for all the other dimensions. So they're basically just consulting on the depth of the extension. And then... But critically, not other matters. And critically, not other matters. Because so, if it was a planning application, <coughs> it would be out to all sorts of consultees. They'd all be getting their order Absolutely. And, and, and it would become a lot more complicated. So although yeah. it sounds like all the neighbours are getting consulted and you put an application, it's not as bad. No, they're, no. they're, they're asking the neighbours what do they think about the depth of the extension. Yeah. And, 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 and the neighbours will typically come back with a load of irrelevant nonsense often which is ignored? Well, they might, they're given 42 days to do so. Um, and if there's no objection, then the officers come back, they stamp it, no objection, 
then you go on to the next stage as well. Now, sometimes neighbours do come back. Um, typically, if they've not been forewarned or you've not, or you've not consulted with them, and sometimes they they come back even if you have had a cup of tea it, with them or something like if that. If I'm well. honest, I and this a lot of people would say this is not you know the I don't know the right way to go about things, and and also. You know, maybe it's it, it's a sort of I don't know against common sense, mm. but I prefer not to talk to neighbours before I put a planning application in now because I find, especially if it's a commercial sort of area mm-hmm. and the neighbours are businesses, mm-hmm. at least fifty percent of the time, no one knows it's even gone in, mm-hmm. even though letters go out and all the rest of it mm-hmm. because it might be rental properties or whatever. If it's a residential area, they probably do see it, but less people see it. And I just find that it makes life a lot simpler, um, you know, <laughs> if, if it goes in and then you start the yeah, negotiations yeah, yeah. with the people who see it and aren't happy, maybe then go around and see them. That's a very good point. And there are applications where I've, uh, I've advocated that approach to clients as well. We've done that recently on an application where we got prior approval, Office Terezi scheme, we had to go up into the roof and make certain changes to the roof. We didn't consult with the neighbours before making uh, that application. And actually, some of the neighbours didn't find out until after the consultation period in any event. Mouth shut until six weeks after the planning uh, consent or the prior approval comes back. Yes. Uh, yeah. So there's no opportunity for judicial review. Mm. Uh, and that's it. It's too late. There are different yeah. ways of approaching this, though. And I think on much larger applications, you have to be sensible. You may have to, certainly after the pre-app, yeah. think about um, whether or not you're going to go through a public relations exercise, what your strategy will be. Yeah, I've always got away um, with not doing that. But yeah. yeah. Um, I, I but think sometimes you have some, to, sometimes, sometimes you is. have to, and sometimes yeah. there are reasons why. Now, yeah. I'm aware that we, we're going to come on later on to talk yeah. about um, PR and engaging with neighbours yeah. as well. But in terms of PD and prior approval, certainly with regards to what's out there at the moment, yeah. Um, then um, domestic extensions at ground level, they've been made permanent. Yeah. Um, we had a permitted development or prior approval right for shops up to 150 square metres. Yeah, and that, so they're class A1 shops. Into C3. Into C3, self-contained residential. Two units. Uh, no, that's so you can do as many units as you like yeah. up to 150 square metres. Yeah. It's above the shop. It's not on the ground floor. Which is not on the ground floor. As long as the area above the shop is some sort of storage or it's an office use, which was part of the shop use, so it was ancillary to the shop, it's not a separate office, for instance, um, then uh, you can convert that under a separate PD right up to two flats um, in that area above the shop. Now, you can't just simply... Send a light, uh, uh, try to subdivide the shop into two shops and then perhaps get four flats no. uh, out of it. At the no, top of course because that would require planning you need to, a, subdivide a plan to subdivide it into two it. Exactly. Or, or to subdivide the shop into two units yeah. before you can subdivide Sorry, it into subdivide flats. Sorry, to subdivide it into two shops. Yes, yeah. 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 So, so um, you're limited up to two units above yeah. ground floor. Um, there's no limit on the number of units. Yeah at ground floor, but it's a limit on the amount that you can convert in terms of floor space, 150 square metres. 150 square metres and into two flats above ground floor level. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. now, so that doesn't apply if you're in a conservation area. You'll have to apply for planning permission. Yeah. 
um, because the law also allows certain external changes to be made to shops in order to make them into flats. Uh, so in the conservation area, that'll usually be a lot more sensitive. Yeah. Uh, and also in what the law calls key um, shopping areas. Now, that's not really defined in the law. It's a bit fuzzy. Yeah. Um, so, so in practice, fuzzy. I tend to look at the local plan policy map. If it's an area where on the policy map it's designated as a district area, yeah. a, prom- a primary yeah. shopping area, second, yeah. it carries a specific policy designation. Yeah then the likelihood is it's going to get caught by that provision. Yeah. Um, and so uh, erring on the side of the caution, you probably won't have PD for that. Now, that same right for shops has now been um, carried over to hot food takeaways, which is class A5. Yeah. So you have the same PD rights for A5 as you have for shops. Mm-hmm. Um, and count, I think... The government and councils, for various reasons, they're quite happy to see hot food takeaways go over to shops for all their environmental reasons and also philosophical reasons to do with obesity in the country and all that sort of stuff. As and, well, so. and, and smelly sort of, uh, you know, it causes complaints. Hot food yeah. takeaways cause smells. And they do. Yeah. Flats above them are hard to finance for a reason. Indeed. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so um, you can't go from a hot food takeaway into a flat. No. Uh, but you can into A1, into retail. Uh, well, no, you can go from hot food takeaway into into flats at ground floor level. Oh, can you? Up to 150 okay. square metres. Mm, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then um, uh, if it's above the hot food takeaway, yeah. um, then that area won't have the same PD rights as you had for an area Retail. above a shop. Yeah. But the, the fact is that because you're losing that use at the ground floor, yeah. which anchors the use of the area above it, the, the likelihood the con- is yeah, the, the you're going to be able to split it in any event. Yeah, absolutely. going to let you have yeah. uh, planning consent. Planning consent. For the first floor. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, so those are the main things. Um, there are some, um, some new areas yeah. that are opening up as well. So... Um, where you have shops, for instance, and you perhaps might not have the ability to change over to residential, yeah. um, you can still now change possibly over to offices. Now, this might be quite useful in certain yeah. circumstances. Shops to offices. Shops yeah. to offices up to 500 yeah. square metres, so yeah. not up to 150 yeah. square metres. That's annoying, but yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that, that's good for the likes of me. When I'm buying retail, converting to residential, I need planning consent because yeah, they're, yeah. they're good size. But um, if I get really buggered yeah. um, and I don't know, there's a change in administration in the local council and they suddenly decide that it's not happening, mm-hmm. not converting shops anymore, then I can convert it into an office yes. up to 500 square metres. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But the retail has to be up to 500 square metres as well. Is that right? The retail... Um, in terms of existing yeah. space, yeah. So you can convert. Let's say, for instance, you have 10, a, a ten yeah, ten thousand square foot mm. retail unit, which I've got at the moment. It's about 12, 13, 12. So only yeah. the first five hundred square meters you could really convert mm. to offices. Yeah, um, which is it's not ideal. Um, uh, the thing is that yeah, but there's retail it, on the ground floor. Yeah, you got retail on the ground floor, so you could sort of. It'll get you out of a hole. Yes, get me out yes. of a hole anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd yeah, turn yeah, it into yeah. a serviced office yes. with desks. 
Yes. Uh, there's a lot of that springing up yeah. uh, around the country now. Um, it's bringing offices back into use. Yes. Um, and it's almost like making a, an office into a HMO building. It's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's politically often a lot easier to change to offices at yeah. the moment yeah. than it is to change to shops. I think also, sorry, to change to residential. And also... In some areas, because there has been a decline in office supply, yeah. then office yields are actually on the rise in some areas. It, it's and quite, at least it says it covers your ass. It, cover, it helps yeah, to it does. mitigate your loss yeah. rather than having an empty unit where you're going to have to be paying business rates. Yeah. And you've got other outgoings and possibly maintenance to keep yeah. that going. Yeah. Um, perhaps if you're doing a land assembly as well, yeah. then um, in trying to put a number of units together, at least it keeps them. Money coming over, which is particularly useful if you're having to play the planning game with yeah. the council in the meantime. Yeah. Because otherwise, they might try and push you around in the planning system, yeah. hoping that you're going to be desperate. You, you're going to need to generate some cash flow and some money. But this helps to keep the walls from the door, helps mm. to keep you in the game for longer, and to yeah. take... and. Gives you more confidence to take a more robust position yeah. in your negotiations yeah. With, yeah. with the council. Yeah, I um, I've certainly noticed that more recently. <clears throat> um, you know, when you when you talk to officers and councillors here in Peterborough, mm. um, they've got the idea that there's a lot of poor office conversions with no windows, mm. and mm. the tide has sort of turned around here. Um, obviously, it's still going on, mm. but there aren't many offices left in any event. Uh, but about half a million square foot of offices went from the town centre into residential. Mm-hmm. Great for the people that did it. Um, but the situation now is there's not really that much free office space left. Mm. I think the rents have, you know, they're, they're going up. Mm. There isn't much being built because still there's a massive gulf between mm. what an office building like this is worth, which mm-hmm. is sort of 15 years old, mm-hmm. and a new office building, mm-hmm. you know, th- this might be worth £135 a foot, to build new, mm. you know, you're going to have to give land and all the professionals and the legals probably 200 or over a foot. So there's yeah. a massive gulf between new and existing. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, so, so, of course, people still aren't building. So the existing ones, the value is, is, is very firm. Mm. So, you know, they're not, they're not, attractive to mm, convert mm, mm. and the political sort of uh, you know the political winds are turning against it mm. perhaps not turning against retail converting mm. though, because there's still a lot of empty shops and yeah. they're not fit for purpose yes i mean you've yeah. got some some big names like house of fraser in oxford street prime prime in london which was which fell into trouble uh, i mean the, um and when you're Looking at news like that, you're looking at that sort of situation, it just brings it home mm. how much traditional retail is struggling yeah. in this country. Yeah, it is. Um, so, so you've got those. Um, quite an exciting possible PD prior approval that may be on the horizon. We're ex- probably expecting to be either coming into law either later this year or um, hopefully uh, by the uh, spring of next year is air rights. Mm. So this is the development of land above uh, existing uh, shops, above existing offices and existing yeah. buildings. I've been involved in, in this quite a bit recently, mm-hmm. having to get planning consent, mm-hmm. but you know, effectively buying a building mm-hmm. that's sort of not very high mm-hmm. with two buildings either side that are much higher. And that area right. is, is, is obviously developable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... 
The government have consulted on this. They've indicated where they may be looking to draw the limits in terms of this. So you're looking at buildings where they would be up to perhaps uh, they would allow air rights up to five stories gross. Yeah. So if you're at two stories already, you can have another three stories on yeah. that. If you're at four stories already, you've got a, you can have yeah, a, another yeah. one story on yeah. that. Um, <clears throat> in terms of the conditions and the restrictions and limitations that will be placed on that, I would imagine there would be a lot of stuff around design and its, uh, um, and its general appearance at the front has yeah. to be, match what's existing. There's a lot of uncertainties about how we'll have to deal with things like sunlight and daylight and outlook with buildings which have neighbouring windows. That, that went on to that. With, for me, um, yeah. not so much the neighbouring windows, but just very deep floor plate. Yes. Not being able to get light into the, into the central yeah. units yeah. probably went on, you know, six, eight, nine months, yeah. you know, negotiating about that. Yeah. Because there are no standards. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, absolutely. And we don't necessarily how the law will draw conditions or restrictions on how it'll deal with those issues with the new floor space, as well as how we have to bring in an assessment of those standards or yeah. those issues on light for the neighbours. For the neighbours. Yeah. Now there are two aspects on light that probably ought to draw to your listeners' attention. There's an aspect which is to do with planning, mm. and one which is more to legal. do with legal and property mm. law. Yeah. Now the the planning is sunlight and daylight standards, and that's measured by what we call the BRE sunlight and daylight That's, building we, research establishment. We brought that out in the end yeah. because the planning officers, you know, <clears throat> there, was no, there was no sort of slide rule. Yeah. And it was, oh, well, we don't think much light will go in there because it's north-facing. Yeah. So we, we, we brought those BRE standards in. And I think, I think in the end they accepted them because yeah. it's the most objective thing that you can use. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So when you look at that, if you're a developer, you need to be smart. You need to look at the other one as well, what we call rights of light. Yeah. Which, now, that, that only applies, really, if a building has acquired a right, either usually by contract, but usually by prescription over 20 That's years, it. being yeah. there for at least 20 years. So you'll need specialist legal advice, property law advice on this. It's not really a planning matter. If you get planning permission... And the planners have looked at it in terms of sunlight and daylight, and they've said it's okay. That doesn't mean that you've got rights of light permission. You will need to get that either by law or by the neighbour, because uh, if you don't, then at the very least they have a right to claim damages for any loss to them, and that will have to be specifically assessed. There are a particular formula for that. At worst... They could take out an injunction in court to stop you from developing. So it's really important that you're on top of that issue. Yeah, and and th th this is obviously the, the the it's interesting because they're trying to I don't know who it is Department Communities and Local Government they're trying mm. to define these permitted development rights and, yeah. and what controls you being able to build up without planning consent mm -hmm. and clearly. The amount of light going into the new developments windows mm -hmm. is important but um i i've had a couple of cases well one in particular recently i got this very nasty letter threatening me about the, the you know rights of light and all this sort of thing and i kept trying to sort of say to him um and I, obviously i got legal advice as well i kept trying to say but you're talking about me paying you money but i'm putting new windows in the rights of light 
relates to your windows mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. light going in, but I'm not going to be affecting that. Mm -hmm. Oh no, you still need to pay me money, and I, I couldn't quite understand where he was going with mm. it. Not and kill the scheme. Ridiculous, mm. ridiculous. Yeah. And of course, every meeting I had, oh, well, you should have thought about that before you went and bought it. You should have factored that into your figures, you know. All, all <laughs> this, uh, yeah, all this yeah. sort of nonsense. And um, so, in the end, we just judged. I, you know, had a solicitor, and they looked at. It, they said he's not actually got a claim for anything, mm -hmm. um, but obviously he can stop you going on his land. Um, and we looked at the Access to Neighbouring Land Act and all this sort of stuff. But in the end, we just judged that asbestos roof tiles were, were falling off. We'd put sort of um, warning mm -hmm. signs up and all that sort of thing. And um, we ended up uh, on the weekends um, sort of doing a little work, high level, you yeah. know, which did oversail. Mm -hmm. uh, the guys were, were, were um, ended up abseiling off, off my building uh, so that we didn't <laughs> go on his land. Um, we, by the way, before we did this, and this is another, this is yeah. another example of, you know, trying to tear it up beforehand. I went and saw the guy in the building yeah. who was the tenant, right, uh, and agreed that we could use their parking spaces and put scaffolding up and pay pay them. And he was he was very very flexible. Yeah, yeah. And of course, what I'd not quite understood at the time was you cannot reach an agreement with the tenant. It is normally the freeholder mm. who you reach the agreement mm -hmm. with, subject to the tenancy. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, this went on. It was just. Just back to Law of the Jungle, mm, you know, we, mm. we, he got angry, we carried on. Uh, we managed to put the windows in from the other side, bit of weekend working. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, he was locking the gate up a lot um, and, and he ended up doing absolutely nothing mm, um, mm. Because, because he couldn't. Um, but the, the moral of that story was um, I got to the end and I understood what it was he was talking about. And what he was concerned with was me obtaining rights of light through our windows mm -hmm. by prescription after 20 years right because he then believed he couldn't develop his site to the same extent oh, I see. which may or may not be true um you know he won't, i doubt he'll be alive in 20 years um but it, you know his successors whatever um so i said to him i said i'm not I'm not concerned about that. I I will relinquish. But that's speculative. That's, that's of course it is. Of course it is. We, I so so I I, I said I'll relinquish all that and I'll give you seven <coughs> and a half grand. Still wouldn't do it. So when we when we finished, he and I. This <coughs> is this is how you learn something new in property all the time. Mm. He he registered a a um. Oh, when you get the right term, a a light. It's something like a restriction. No, a. Something like a light contravention notice. Right. I'll, I'll get the correct term. It's placed on the title, is it? it? No, it goes on the charges register at the local council. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And what it is, it, it's an imaginary structure right. which he has now erected from the ground all the way up to space. Right. Which is right in front of my windows, but on his land, which blocks the light going into my window so that I don't automatically obtain the right to light through prescription in 20 years' time. Light obstruction okay. notice, that's right. what it's called. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. So that, I, I learned something new there. But it's fascinating stuff, all this, and there's money in it, so it, it's worth it's very interesting. Getting, yeah. Because we had, um, I know it's just a little bit off-piece with, with, with what we were talking yeah. about, but as we were on the subject in terms of this, but we had a pre-application recently yeah. with uh, Wandsworth Council. Yeah. 
And um, they're very helpful, came down on site, had a look at it. It was a proposal to change some garages to two houses. Yeah. Um, and there was a gap between us and the neighbours on the right-hand yeah. side. Yeah. And the pre-application report comes back. And the officer wanted us to pull our, the limits of our building in another one metre in from the left away from the house yeah. on the right-hand side. Yeah. Which would have killed the scheme for two houses. We wouldn't have had enough yeah. room. Um, and the reason for doing so, even though we were building up to the limit of where the existing garages were in yeah. any event, yeah. and no further, yeah. was that they thought it was important in order to preserve the opportunity for the neighbours if they yeah. wanted to build a site extension. Right. Well, and and that, that should be considered why? Well, I, I, I can see probably where the problem is, and it's probably the problem I had with this as well, which is, but hold on a second, there's no application in for them to do so. They've not got a permission. This is entirely speculative. You know, it could happen 5, 10, 20 years in the future. We're being asked to preserve something that may never happen. Um, so... Often these things come up in law. Fortunately, yeah. because of my background and yeah. the amount of work that I put mm. through chambers as well, mm. I can probably call up a, a barrister and say, yeah. am I gone mad? Yeah. Or does this sound completely nuts to you? Yeah. And they sound, and they will often be quite supportive over yeah. the phone as well. So I spoke to a QC that I yeah. happened to be dealing with on another case. Um, happens to have been a QC who had recently won a high court case against the same counsel. <laughs> Kind of quite yeah, useful. Yeah. And I, I, I wrote to the officer mentioning yeah. this particular QC's yeah. name. So obviously it was all hopefully all a little bit fresh in the memory for them yeah. as well. And I said, well, I spoke to so-and-so and they said that um, such a consideration would be unlawful yeah. and immaterial. And therefore, can you please change your pre-application report to delete this requirement? Yeah. Yeah. And within a week I had a, and altered a revised pre-application report yeah, yeah. that deleted, deleted the requirement. It. Brilliant. Yeah. So something, sometimes yeah. these things come up, and despite the position of the other person on the other side, yeah. be a solicitor, yeah. be an officer, yeah. you know, if it doesn't sound right, um, I call it the law of elephants, if mm. it, or, or a law of ducks. Mm. If it walks like a duck, yeah. or quacks like a duck, it probably it's is a duck. A duck. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you know, challenge it. Yeah. Always ask yeah. questions because, yeah. you know, you're able to go ahead with doing what you wanted to mm. do, <clears throat> subject to the, um, uh, was it light obstruction notice? Yes. And we were able to change Which the Which I'm not sure he's, he's registered because I, I, we've put him on notice that we're going to uh, seek judicial review if he does. Right, okay. And he's on the hook for costs. Right, which okay. Which is always a good one. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So it's always, always yeah. worth looking at. So, yeah, so, yeah I know that's an inter- very interesting aside. Just to finish off a, a couple of points on PDs, yeah. prior approvals, etc. Office Terezi, still yeah. an interesting play. I think in some areas of the country, there may still be enough profit in the P, in the PD and prior approval um, scheme alone on that. But by and large, what we're finding is that site values and the land values yeah. are going up. It's going to become more expensive to buy them yeah. because people are a lot more aware of the opportunity. The vendors are more happened. Yeah. So that will erode your profit margins. And also, um, as experienced 
um, uh, people such as ourselves who are experienced in how the investment market works, how, how, it's exp- how it works with uh, the banks and with your investors, people throw stones at the valuation in, ex- in, in terms of uh, what the possible exit will be on a scheme like that. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen with Brexit. There are warnings from the Bank of England about what's going to happen with the economy. Labour want to remove permitted yeah. development yeah. rights on offices. All sort of this sort of stuff. So yeah. it's prudent when doing these exercises to see if it still works at 5 or 10% lower yeah. than the existing GDV. I think that's a good idea. Um, and also, um, we don't know what's going to happen with the labour market and labour costs could rise, yeah. and bill costs could rise. Well, they by have 5%. been. They have yeah, been. So they have. I've really noticed in the last sort of mm. three years, um, construction costs have gone up yeah. a lot. So, yeah. so what we're seeing is that PD and prior approval on office to resi may still be there. It still gives you a good foundation. Yeah. Perhaps five, ten, fifteen percent profit on cost, with experienced high net worth or. Um, very high net worth investors, that's not going to be enough mm. to entice them to take the risk no, on some of these schemes. They're looking for really about 35 to 40% profit on costs. Yeah, because if so you, you need a planning play you do. on top That's of that. exactly it. Because if, you, if, you're, if you're in there and you're getting 10, 15, I don't know, maybe 20% <clears throat> is all right for some, mm. um, often when the issues come out, then mm. that's down to five. Absolutely. Um, and mm. I see that all the time. Um, I, the projects I do, they're more like that. Mm. They've always got a three in front of them mm. percent, mm. Mm. you know, on on cost usually. Yeah. Um, so thirty percent plus on cost yeah. usually before finance. Um, no, no, after everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. after legals, finance, professionals, the whole mm-hmm. lot. The the key to this, I think, you've just touched on it. it it's it's adding the value by by building on top. Mm. Maybe you can put an extension mm-hmm. back or sides yeah um and maybe you can extract something out of the car parking as well yes um if you can do that um i i think that is usually what is the difference between them working and not working yeah so you're normally doing a bit of pd but then you're getting stuck in with the planning yeah um another thing and it's not well it is planning um recently uh in, in peterborough they've they've um they've They've got very interested in noise, mm-hmm. and the environmental health officer is is now a, a consultee. Didn't used to be on these schemes, but is now. And she often just says, "Right, I want mechanical ventilation throughout the building." Mm. Um, but in order to demand that, she 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 gets you to do a noise report, and the guy that does the noise report puts all these microphones around the building, mm. um, and. He listens to noise. Now, if you're in the middle of the town centre, there are nightclubs. Hmm. And there are a couple of nightclubs around sites that I'm doing. And she insisted on us recording these nightclubs when some big bands were playing. Mm -hmm. Um, When the doors were open uh, and insisted, well, that's how they operate. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the doors need to be left open. And I consulted um, a legal specialist last week. And what I realised was... um, they are contravening their licensing conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, the licensing conditions of that nightclub are those doors should be shut. Therefore, she can't consider a noise report which is based on doors, doors that are open. Yes. Um, which I'd not even thought about. The other thing, um, which somebody else brought to my attention recently, and I'm just checking into this, does the nightclub even have planning consent? And 
are they breaching any planning conditions in operating the nightclub? Because if they are, that's a good point. then yeah. that's something yeah. else you can use. So you've, you've um, yeah, I... They're, they're You've got to pull these little exactly. things out. As we're on the uh, um, the subject of angles and wheezes and things yeah. like that, coming back to shimmies. The, the shimmies, yeah. shimmies, a uh, few step overs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lollipops as well, yeah. as they used yeah, to call yeah. them. But the thing yeah. is, um, what we're talking mm-hmm. about here is, coming back to the issue of air rights. Yes. Now, I want to bring in the issue of affordable housing yeah. on this, because in some cases... Um, there would be the opportunity to build on top of um, your existing building. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the size of the units you're going for, they're going to be limited by what you can do under, yeah. usually on a local plan policy, um, or if local plan policy brings it in, the national described yeah. space standards. It's the minimum size. The minimum size. Yeah, so okay. we haven't got any around here, but um, on a scheme I did recently, the officer just said, 40 square metres, yeah, that's my yeah, minimum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. generally speaking, if you are working with a building where you might have to then take the roof off and you're yeah. building new units on top, yeah. there is a danger that the council might begin to see that. If it's the same developer, yeah. um, and it's albeit there's a break in the scheme, yeah. but it's the same developer, they might see it as a continuation I've always wondered this, on the 106 or the affordable. Oh, well, yes, so they might I've try wondered this because affordable. I've got... I've got a site now where I'm yeah. just applying for some extras, and they, they're going for it, and they're not even talking about 106. And I, I've often thought to myself, why am I not just breaking all this up? So you if know, they do, yeah. if they do... Same my advice is, my advice, my, the application my, from someone else. Well, my advice is, yes, yeah. my advice yeah. is perhaps set up a JV with somebody else, or you, however you Anyone want to work Anyone can it. make you the could, planning could anybody, application. Anybody can make the planning application. My, my, office, up, my but the thing is, the yeah. thing is, the air rights could be in a separate title. Of course, yeah. set up a separate because obviously, yeah. if they start looking at the title and they see it's still Mark Homer behind it, mm. Mark Homer or Progressive or whoever, never or whatever, had it still where they do. Yeah, it's belt and braces. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. just saying, yeah. you know, you never know. I'm sure, and, you know, and I bet around London, they're, they're in more London, they this. are very, very they cute on all this. They start yeah, doing yeah. all sorts of. They start do going they? Into digging all, away, digging yeah. away. They go yeah. into court cases and stuff like that. Do so, they? Yeah, oh my yeah. god, yeah. Yeah. So they they yeah. go they go to the ends of the earth to try yeah. and find a way to get the developer to pay because it's an awful lot of money for them. So, what I'm saying is that sometimes it's worth. Having an arrangement with somebody else you can work with, mm. you put the title in a SPV, mm. okay, and um, it's then f- therefore not necessarily clear that that SPV has anything to do with the, the freehold owner of the flats and the building below. Mm. So to all intents and purposes, it is a new developer, mm. It's a new title. My it's mother, a separate project. She has a separate. It, she has it, a different it, surname it, it to could, me. Absolutely, it yeah. could be different could address. be could yeah. be anybody. And yeah. um, so you could split off title in that way, and therefore help to insulate what happens above the existing building yeah. I've always from dragging been, you into affordable housing. I've always wondered where the line is with this. You know where <coughs> where they. Can, no one knows where the line is. Oh, don't that's, they? That's, well, this that's is this the point. Great about so planning, much isn't of it? planning. It's great, isn't so it? So much of planning yeah. is grey area. Mm. Yeah. And it's all about where we see if we can pull, push the boundaries. Mm. Half of my week is involved in having to deal with questions which had never been asked before. Mm. 
Um, and test, finding the shimmy. Uh, and see if we, we can test new things <laughs> yeah. and how far we can push the boundaries push the boundary. as well. Yeah. 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 That's really interesting because around here, if you're below 14 units, <coughs> um, you don't have any affordable mm. housing, but you do have SIL. Yeah. Uh, above 14, yeah. you've got affordable. Yeah. So a lot of the time, you want to keep it below 14 and yeah. probably just give them a SIL payment. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't, you know, persuade them to sort of drop the affordable. Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, and lastly, certificates of lawfulness on existing uses. Obviously, if you buy a building. Yeah. <coughs> sorry, excuse me. <coughs> you see it's been used um, as self-contained flats for at least four yeah. years. There's no planning permission on there. There's no certificate of lawfulness. Um, then... Let's say you're looking at buying that building, but you're entering into negotiations with the landowner about it. The landowner um, doesn't have a record of planning to it. So you'll go along, you'll say, well, it's a great opportunity, but you'll start sucking through your teeth and you'll start, you'll start making those noises. It's going to be trouble. It's going to be trouble. It's yeah. going to be a lot of who risk. Who else and, is going to buy this? And if we don't buy it... Yeah. I mean, and the council I'll, find out. Well, we're not. They're not going to find out from us, Mark. But if they did, and you know, you know, curtain twitches and neighbours, these things can happen. Um, so, again, they're not going to find out from us. But if they did, then it'll fall on you because you're the owner, and you'll lose all this rent as well, and you'll have to change all the layout because some of these size, the sizes of some of these flats are. Way below the, the standards, the, the minimum standard. Proceeds of crime act, yeah. last four, four years yeah. worth of rent. Yeah. yeah. So we have to take that risk on. Mm. We're happy to take that risk on for you, you know, as part of the deal. Subject to. But it's going to have to be reflected in the price, yeah. obviously. So you can see how it evolves. Yeah. Um, as part of that, you want to make sure that you're getting a statement from them. Yeah. Um, particularly as, you know, as the new owner you won't personally have had the four years experience of being the yeah. landowner collecting the rents. Yeah. So you want to get that uh, information from them in writing because once they've got the money, the deal is completed, they're off to sunny Barbados or whatever it is. They don't really care. They don't want to, they can't be bothered to cooperate and so on and so yeah. forth. So, so you want to get in uh, any invoices from when the works were done, exactly. uh, maybe a, an affidavit from them exactly. saying when it was done, exactly. tenancy agreement it's showing just, the continuous it's exact, use. It's exactly the same if you're dealing with anything where you need some sort of evidence where there's, let's say, for instance, there's been no market interest in an existing yeah. commercial use, yeah. pubs, yeah. offices where you don't have PD, yeah. and you need to prove that there's been no market for it in, yes. 12, in the last 12 months. Yeah. The moment that deal is done with the freeholder or the existing publican, mm. they're off the scene. You won't be able to get hold of them for love or money. Mm. So you want to get that information from them before they go. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a condition of, of, of sale. Indeed. Or, you know, absolutely. condition of exchange or whatever. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and then the reality is, I mean, I had one of those mm. recently. I was a little bit cheeky. Um, it was, a, um, you know, a, a HMO. I'd put a couple of extra rooms in. Mm -hmm. But I'd made them self-contained. Um, and um, what happened was, I we, we converted it. We converted it into an eight bed, but, but, but two of them had... Yeah, not just an ensuite. They had a kitchenette as well. Yeah, um, I just thought I'll 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 test this one. See how see how this this rolls. Um, so we ran it for five and a half years. Um, you know, really really good. You know, good rent, everything else. Um, you know, good good size rooms, good standard. I took it back to brick. I I, I put all ensuites in. Made yeah. it very very nice. Yeah. 
course, October 2018, which is, you know, what I didn't see coming, Mm. they changed the law, which basically said that, because I used to do a lot of two-story HMOs, they weren't licensable. But as soon as October 18 came along, any HMO with five or more people in became licensable. So we had to get a license. Right. So, licensed officer comes around and goes, oh, this is great, whatever, measures all the rooms, everything. You know, he's got a few things in he's doing with a couple of extra smoke detectors, things like that, but nothing yeah. particularly major. Yeah. Goes away, decides it's got too many people in it, so reports me to planning enforcement. So, planning enforcement are on, on, you know, on the scene and right. um, they have a look and whatever. So, so I, get, I, I get one of their, their officers and I'm like, can you send everything in to me? So, I got my, uh, I got my local planning consultant on the go. Mm-hmm. What are we gonna do? So he had a look and he said, Well, I think you'd get planning concern anyway, mm-hmm. because there's enough parking on the street, all this sort of stuff. But um let's just have a look at what you've got. So so I said, Well the thing is we did this five and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Um and um but when I because I, I did have a sort of exploratory conversation with the planning enforcement officer mm-hmm. without giving anything away. Yeah. She said to me, she said, Well, it's sui generis in any event because it's an eight bed, mm. and you've gone and put two two of them. You've put kitchenettes and en suites into their studio flats. Mm-hmm. So, oh god, right, well, you know, whatever. So, so as far as I'm concerned, th- this is not um, you're 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 not converting into C three. Mm-hmm. It's into sui generis. So it's ten years rather than four years mm. uh, before it becomes established use and in, immune to enforcement action. Mm-hmm. So I had a little think. I just I just went away. And t- I thought about this. I thought, eventually, I, I, you know, it took me a couple of days, but I thought, this, this sort of little brainwave came over me. And I thought to myself, surely, if two of the flats are studio flats, as she puts it, they're C3 in any in any. And bed. you only have to prove four years for those. And you only have to prove for four years, and I've got five and a half years worth of um, evidence. So that brings the rest of them within uh, six units. So there's six, and that, that's um, permitted development that into development, C4, C4 in any event. Yeah. So I rang her up, told her, she went, oh, I'm not having this, whatever. <laughs> I said, but Julie, you, you said to me, it's, yes. you know, whatever. Yes. And um, anyway, we got all the evidence. We got the, she said, I want the invoices. I want the, there was a conservatory I put one on the yeah. back as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but that's building work, so that's four years. I got all the evidence from that, whatever. Sent it all in. She just came back and said, yeah, I think it's immune to enforcement action. Oh so <laughs> you, um, it's worth learning all this, this it is, stuff. There's it a is. lot of value in it. I mean, the, the lawful use angle is, is also particularly interesting from the point of um, uh, officers to resi uh, and a lot of the PD rights as well. So, for instance, um, where it's coming up, what I'm finding it coming up more recently is on the exit to a deal. Yeah. Uh, so with planning permission PD or prior approval, um, it's all usually prospective, uh, unless, of course, you're getting, you've done the works already, you've done a change of use, and you're going retrospectively. But with prior approval, it's always prospective because it, you're working from a position of converting existing offices. Mm. Okay, and if you go ahead, and retrospe- you can't no, go retrospectively. You go ahead approval. and convert it without the prior approval. You then need planning. Permission. You need because you've, yeah. you've lost the use. Yeah. So let's say you've got an office uh, development. You get prior approval. Mm. That's an abbreviate. It is in a, only in effect an abbreviated form of planning permission. Mm. So what you'll often find on exit is the funding lawyers will turn to you and say, "Well, we're happy to release the funds, but we need proof that what you've built 
matches the prior approval mm. in the end. So you've got a, you've it's an established lawful use. Mm. Now that seems a little bit of overkill, but it's often guided by the funding lawyers, and I've had it a couple of times. And so sometimes they will accept a letter from um, the planning consultant. I sometimes have to do these letters, yeah. or they will accept it from a, a barrister. Yeah. Um, but more often than not, um, and the only conclusive way in law of proving this is a certificate of lawfulness for existing development. So this is so you have to apply to the council. It takes another eight weeks. You so have this to submit is to papers. say that you you built what the prior approval was for. Yes, or a yeah. planning permission. What what it was for exactly? Oh, uh, and the planning. So so yeah. yes, because the planning permission yeah. says you have permission to build this. Yeah. You get to the end of the period of build. Yeah. Then the funding lawyer says. Yes, well, turning the clock back, uh, turning, turning back the other way, yeah. did you build what you had permission to build? Yeah. So we want to make sure that we're, there's not going to be any non-compliances yeah. and that you actually executed what you were given permission to build so in the first it, so place. So how do you ascertain that? Just a letter from a it's, planning consultant that says he's had a look around? Well, they might, say it'll, they might settle for a letter from the planning consultant or opinion from a barrister but they might also ask for uh, a certificate of lawfulness from the I've council. I've never had that. Ooh, yeah. Now, it, does, it has come up a couple yeah. of times. Yeah. Um, um, it, it's also a little bit of uh, an issue at the moment because with prior approval, yeah. um, let's say offices to residential, if the council don't give you an answer in 56 days, mm. then you get deemed prior approval. You get deemed consent. Gee, I didn't know that. So... Oh, they've asked for an extension. Um, and I, I, recently, sure I, have, I yeah. recently got that on a development for about yeah. 30 flats in, um, in Great Yarmouth. Yeah. Um, and the council actually sent us an objection from the, uh, from the Environment Agency on flooding. Yeah. Uh, and they were about to refuse it. Mm. Um, the 56 days works from the date of registration, or rather the date on which validation. they receive all the... Well, no, not validation. Not Are they allowed to validate it? They can validate, validate it? No, they can validate yeah. it. But, they, but the 56 days works from the date on which they received a valid application. Okay? Rather than there, there with a planning, when they the planning application, they say it's valid from yeah. this date. So it's not that date. They might have yeah. validated it yeah. maybe two or three days or yeah. a week afterwards. Yeah. But it'll be the date. Well, I've so, had them three, four weeks. So, so, so they were yeah. three days out on our application. Superb. So, so you're like, well, in so, any event, we've got it. Well, I, yes, yeah. I did. Now, they yeah. put up a fight. Did actually, they? Yeah. And they said they came up with all sorts of reasons as to why um, they now queried whether or not we deemed, had deemed prior approval. Yeah. Now, that was a problem for my client because their lawyers. their lawyers kept on looking at the planning record saying this still looks as yeah. it's saying undecided. Yeah. And for a long time, the council have been holding back yeah. and refusing to change that status on the planning record. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we've recently, in the last few days, got them to agree to change it. Yeah. We had to go through a bit of a process with yeah. them and tacitly yeah. threaten judicial review against yeah, yeah. them and all that sort of yeah. stuff. But they have now agreed very kindly to yeah. play ball, yeah. uh, and they're now going to change the record. But I raise it because... As developers, we're not in planning. We're not doing. We're not going through the planning process as an academic exercise. 
This no, is this is to generate yeah. value. Yeah. So I know it, it's all very what's well. What's the practical it, what's implication? The practical if you can't do it anyway, exactly. then, it, then it's a waste of time. Exactly, and yeah. it can cost a lot of money. Uh, when, you know, when it comes to selling flats and that sort of stuff, lawyers start pouring over the yeah. paperwork and yeah. they still see online, this is undecided, yeah. the council have not deemed yeah. pr- prior approval. I suppose what you'd have to do in that circumstance, potentially, is get hold of a, a barrister maybe mm. to write you know, uh, some sort of letter or opinion and give it to this lister and explain what has happened. That's but what they, we did. That's what we did in this it? case. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. We and did they it. accept it? Or? Uh, they did. Yes. yes. They, they came okay. back a few times. The bank, the bank went for it. Yeah. Uh, well, the, 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 the bank weren't involved in us. We had to sort yeah. out the problem and then the bank were been basically waiting for the prior Just approval status. By to, the, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so they, the council's officer came back to me a few times, yeah. querying a few things yeah. afterwards. <clears throat> Some of the points she'd raised... Yeah were points that were relevant to a case that we won in a high court against another council yeah. last year. Yeah. So I said, well, here's the consent order from yeah. the high court. You can't do this. You can't take this view because of X, Y, and Z, yeah. apart from which it says A, B, and C in the council's, in, yeah. in the barrister's opinion yeah. in any yeah. event. So they went through their process. I think there was perhaps other considerations. And we think perhaps there were other considerations at stake, but... Yeah, they didn't want to for whatever reason. Yeah. They've so, always so, got some sort of wheels uh, within wheels yeah, operating. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's usually yeah. something to do with money at the end yeah. of it as well. So, but, um, <laughs> but they weren't going to get any, yeah, were they? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So, so we had to look at that. Yeah. But, um, so you know, obviously there are a few key issues here. And we've, 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 ticked, we've touched on a few of those in terms of the resistance to put PV in prior approval yeah. and investor confidence and having to carry out sensitivity analysis and... And, and the costs and time in obtaining permission. Yeah. Um, and also how PD and prior approval is particularly useful yeah. in terms of taking advantages of um, or certainly mitigating the risk in, in terms of um, uh, confidence, risk, um, timing in planning permission, yeah. and also having to look at different exits as yes. well um, to manage investor confidence you may be in a situation where you may have to hold on to uh, an investment uh, and obtain the rents mm. until you get full vacant possession. Yeah. That can be very difficult as well because mm. you may be dealing with tenants who are not willing to come out even after you've obtained PD. There's been a few offices around here and some retail mm. which have gone on the market and instead of it just being one tenant, there's something like four. Yeah. And if they're in the 1954 Act mm-hmm. and you can't get them out and they've got a sort of right to continue, you know, at the new market mm-hmm. rent afterwards, you can have a real load of bother yeah. getting them out yeah. um, and you need to probably pay them money to go. Yeah. Um, so that that is a problem. Yeah. 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 Um, and um, I think vacant offices are worth quite a bit more mm. than, than ones where especially... There's a couple of bitty tenants in the yes, building. Yeah, they're not very big, but they're just staying. And you know, I agree. But it's, I think that's a fine line because, on the one hand, it's also a good thing. Ideally, if you have a tenant who's agreed to come out in six to nine months' time, and it's going to pay so, rent. And so you're pay paying rent in the meantime. You're yeah. getting the best of both worlds. That's then. good. Yeah, because you've got your your rent and your rates, especially exactly. covered. You can, but you know they're coming out. You can work yeah. the PD. You've yeah. got time to put in a planning scheme yeah. on top of that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there are all sorts of angles that you can play. You don't have that freedom, so necessarily, if it's a full vacant possession. No. So, trees, 
Sunlight and daylight, viability and marketing. Mm, mm. Tell us about those, David. So a few, just hopping over a few key risk management areas, things that um, uh, some of your listeners might just want to uh, keep an eye out for in these sorts of things. I put at the top of that list traffic and parking. Yeah. Now, we often talk about power teams um, at Progressive and obviously in um, some of the courses and uh, in, in what you and your listeners do as well. And... Um, obviously, I would say this, obviously, being a planning yeah. consultant is a key part of your planning um, and power team having a planning consultant. Yeah. But I'd also say a key power team member, particularly on changes of use, has got to be a good parking and highways consultant. Now, yeah. that will usually be somebody who works very closely with your own planning consultant. Yeah. We have a very few very close relationships. Um and these people are, are worth getting to know and bringing in early, particularly if you're doing your due diligence, you're mm. trying to work out what you can get in terms of planning on a site when perhaps you're trying to work, put a bid together. Yeah. Because if they can get the ratios down in terms of the amount of car parking spaces needed for a certain number of flats... It makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. You can win, it can win you another two or three flats mm. that can be worth yeah. another few hundred thousand, maybe... You know, up to a million or so on your GDV. Yeah. Uh, and every penny counts, as you know, in, in these of sorts of situations. Yeah. So that can help with your... The, these are the density. bits that make all the money. Because often yes. when you get a, you know, an extra three flats, okay, they're not free. But, you know, let's say a flat costs, I don't know, 50, 60 grand yeah. To, yeah. To, to create. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're converting, um, you, 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 you've, you've then added... A disproportionate amount of profit mm. to your scheme. So this, these, these bits are where your profit is. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 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 So um, yeah, I, I don't use one actually. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I just don't think I've had to. Other than it, it's usually down to parking. Mm. Um, I use a. I always use a parking survey. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I go out. I do it myself. And um, I, I have to do it on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at, um, after 7 p.m. To make There's sure a certain methodology for there it. Is. it? You, you get the sheet from the council. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I go and count the spaces and I measure them all. But, of course, if I'm doing it, I'm going to find every single on-street parking <laughs> space, you are. including when, when people... Can you, can you, you can't do it in school holidays, can you? No, you're not allowed. No, it's no. got to be, it's gotta be um, a week outside at least a week outside of school holidays yeah, as well i think yeah. to allow for traffic to normalize yeah it's called the lambeth me- methodology is it? isn't it well it, it, so you're it, effectively doing the lambeth walk you do yeah realize you're walking I, I i must have got consent on four schemes by doing that and other developers just go to a planning consultant yeah. and they go oh if you're not a parking you won't yeah. get it on street stress yeah. or parking beat surveys they're yeah. called yeah, yeah. so but i love doing them you always find a lot more spaces as well what who knows whether it's within the rules? It's it's all a little bit grey, but I find one thing that really helps if you if you spend sort of three or four hours there, mm. if somebody happens to move whilst you're there, mm-hmm. you can sort of track back round and get that space again. <laughs> yeah, and then as as somebody else comes into a space that you've already counted, 
Well, that was counted earlier on. You see what I mean? Because they don't so specify. That, that chutzpah? That's chutzpah, right? There's a bit of chutzpah yes, in there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, you can get a lot of space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good. Very good. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, I mean, certainly worth. Um, and of course, you wouldn't encourage more, anybody to drive off. No. Or, no, or, or not no. to park there. Or, no. or what, Yeah. No, exactly. No. If it just ha- happens yeah, to happen. If it happens yes, to happen. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so you've got yeah. that. Um, so that's, that's certainly worth it. And particularly as with a lot of these officers that come on the market, yeah. or perhaps before they're briefly on the market, they will be um, a situation where the vendor knows full well that there are PD or prior approval rights. Yeah. They will often try and put in an application themselves mm. to prove that. Mm. But what you often see is they don't know how to work That's the space exactly very it. well. That's They'll exactly end up it. with oversized one bed They're or always two bed always too big. Yeah. They use a rubbish architect. Yeah, yeah. and they're playing it safe because they've got 10 parking spaces and they don't want to go for 12 units. So they're going for one space per unit. Yeah. uh, And you end up with 10 very large units. Probably are too large for the local market. They're not going to sell. Yeah. Um, So that is how you end up getting those units. They've got the prior approval and you rework the plans. You get a lot more flats out of it and you put a planning application in on Mm. top, out the back, Mm. and maybe you know, something with a car parking Absolutely. spaces. Yeah. And yeah. then you can suddenly make it work because I find 90% of the time, mm. the price they want for the scheme that they've got is completely unrealistic and it doesn't yes, work. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There is a caveat to that, isn't yeah. it? That is not to assume that there is a market for, uh, in all places for micro units. Mm. And uh, we know, we know we have yeah. mutual friends yeah. who have become very overexposed to yeah. the vagaries of the current market. Yeah who have um, a foothold and control of very large deals. Yeah. We're talking about over 100 in some cases, but all micro units, yeah. there's no spread of different size of units. And they're often in relatively virgin markets geographically or regionally, where um, they're a lot more exposed to... Um, uh, to what may happen with the market and GDV, so on and I, so forth. I kept. So I don't, you know, it's, it's not, this is not, this, this point is not necessarily it's about them, but it's about the risks. It is. Of making sure that if you are going to say, well, we think we can get more units out You've got here. to test it. You've got to test it. Yeah. You've got to speak to agents. Yeah. You've got to look at deals got, well, done agency. and not just agent no. sentiment. No, not listen to the, you've got to, I mean, for me here, I, I thought so many times about taking an office building mm. and putting all 30 metres squared uh, flats in it. Yes. I couldn't find any comparables around it. No one, every, everyone I've seen has done them at sort and of more And that will like, be a problem when you go to get finance yeah, because yeah. the bank's yeah. value will, will want comparables. No, yeah. So, so everything I found was sort of 40, 40 metres plus, something like that. Yeah. But obviously I've seen people doing this mm. um a lot of them are sort of more you know london centric you know and and in sort of let's just say higher value areas and it's been working for them mm. but i could never bridge that gap between peterborough and those areas and, mm. and at one point i thought about buying a small um a small just a very small office mm. and doing two flats mm-hmm. and testing it mm. to see you know see what would happen um and then someone did go and do one in a mm-hmm. city like Peterborough, yeah. and I watched it, and apparently couldn't sell. They don't. They really have not sold. So I think you've got to be really careful with that. Mm. In 
lower value provinces, re you've got to test the bloody thing. Otherwise, you're at 40 meters plus. I yeah, think. so yeah. the attitude to keeping yeah. parking spaces with units is different. Yeah. We find within London that um, uh, a lot of um, units will sell and retain their value yeah. without the need for car parking spaces. Yes. And you can sell the car parking spaces separately, often at a premium. They're here, they're sort of 10 grand. Yeah, so it's so rough, roughly the same. 7.5 to 15. In, in, yeah. in central yeah. London, towards central London, you're looking at maybe about 15 to 20 grand. And, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. one Knights Bridge. Not, not. Uh, one Knights Bridge, yeah. um, uh, I think it's near the Candy. I think it's probably the, the Candy Candy uh, scheme. It, there's been, um, I think they sold off a lot of their underground car parking spaces um, in developments around there. And I think many years ago when I was at GVA Grimley, we, we were involved in advising on such a development yeah. and it made it, it added another million pounds to yeah. the GDV. Yeah. But that's a, there were different times. Extreme. It's a different, different market. Yeah. But I think here, um, particularly outside London, there's a different attitude towards the way in which units are, met, are valued yeah. um, with regards to whether or not they have car parking spaces. Yeah. It's, tend, it tends to be assumed that car parking spaces need to go with the units. Hmm. Um, I don't know whether or not you found that. So you, if you don't have, yeah. if, if you have a car parking space, you don't necessarily always get to charge extra for that to the tenants. But yeah, I, I, maybe I, I not. I think it's dependent opinion. on the area. I think in Peterborough, if it's right in the middle of the yeah. city centre, which is actually about usually within five minutes, six, mm -hmm. seven minutes walk of the mainline train station yeah. that goes into London, you can get probably seven and a half, ten, fifteen grand in sort that of more would make extreme. Sense, yeah. You can get that much more for the unit. Um, and there are quite a few developments where there's only been sort of one in particular I can think of, there were, I think the 3540 flats yeah. and only 10 spaces. Hmm. So it does work here. I think as soon as you're out of the city centre, I've mm -hmm. done developments, car parking just comes with a flat yeah. and um, yeah. probably worth nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that's car parking, flood risk, um, still worth looking at changes of use yeah. in areas which are flood risk. We've managed to successfully get PD on... Uh, flood zones two and three. Yeah. Um, when you do so, when you're looking for that, you will need a topo. You'll need a topographical survey. Yeah. And it's. I think it's really important to instruct an environment consultant very early. Ideally, one who already has access to the environment agency mapping data. If you put in an application without that environment agency mapping data, uh, and you've not been to the environment agency first the council will almost always recommend refusal. So just be careful of that. It's very imp important. Um, so that's flood risk. Um, trees, also very important, particularly if you're looking at doing development within the area of uh, existing buildings and there are trees yeah. uh, in the boundaries. You want to know what your developable area is. So yeah. um, you'll need to bring on a, a tree consultant quite early on, look at the root protection areas, and they will define the limits of foundations. Um, not not so important when it comes to sort of things like bike sheds and bin stores and that sort of stuff because they have relatively low foundations. But you want to minimise as much as you can the extent to which you're intruding into reprotection yeah. areas. There is, in practice, a general rule that there's a bit more give and take in the first 20% to which you intrude into that uh, root protection area. Um, so that 
if you're only going in no more than 20% into the root protection area, there tends to be a little less harm, uh, harm assumed, a bit more at an acceptable level to the tree. Um, but you need to speak to a, a tree, a qualified tree consultant about that. And then there are issues with regards to heritage. If you're in conservation areas, um, if you're in settings of listed buildings, obviously you need to be careful about that um, and need to be bringing um, a heritage consultant very, very early. Um, and viability and marketing. We've already talked about this and touched upon it earlier when it talks about, when we talk about doing a deal with somebody, having that evidence about the viability very, very early on, getting the cooperation of the public and the landowner um, very early. Um, and I mean, th those are the, are the, key, the key points, just to summarise traffic and parking, flood risk, heritage, trees, sunlight and daylight, viability and marketing. And then lastly, I would say community engagement, which is a whole area on its own as well. You get a spe there's a specialist around here that does that. Yes. Um, yeah. And he'll set up sort of public consultation yeah. areas um, for bigger schemes, yes. often big new build sites. Yes. That's what you have to do. Yeah, so you have yeah. to consider whether or not it, you want to engage with uh, neighbours very early. It sometimes... Depends on the scheme. It depends it? on the scheme. I think yeah. for larger schemes, I think you need to because yeah. at some point... And the officers. If the officers sort of say... You know what, it's city centre. Um, we're going to probably do this under delegated powers. Yeah. No, no committee. Um, uh, most of the time, it's not of benefit. I mean, I had one where mm. they they said that was how it was going to be done, but they said, "Oh, do you mind if we we put it in the local paper and you 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 know do a bit of a thing with the um, the leader?" So they did. They put it in the local paper. And the leader sort of you know spoke about how they were helping regenerate mm -hmm. part of the city, which was great. But of course, all it did was alert the nightclub owner opposite mm. Mm. that we're about to do this. So you just put a complaint straight in uh, saying yeah. that his nightclub was going to yeah. be shut down. Yeah. In the end, we overcame it, but yeah. it, it slowed everything down and caused issues. So um, there's a balance here, isn't there? It is. Yeah. And I think a lot of people object partly because... People have seen it. Well, they, well if, a, part, part, you know. a lot of people object because... I think some of it is ego. Yeah. They feel as if they're being bypassed by the faceless developer. You yeah. often hear this yeah, phrase, yeah, yeah. the faceless yes. developer, which yeah. is ironic because yeah. uh, we had a, uh, um, a situation recently where my, where my yeah. client, the developer, yeah. offered to meet yeah. the objecting owners yeah. on the other side of the road on site and yeah. be available at certain times. I would you know, do that if they'd registered an objection. They, I mean, I went to the nightclub this is exactly owner, what happened. and I, I knocked on his door the whole lot, yes. offered to change his windows. Yes. Um, at that stage, I think you want to engage So you're not faceless. Yeah. yeah. My client wasn't faceless. Yeah. And still, an objection came in afterwards because mm -hmm. the guy couldn't make himself available in the evenings or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, my client was still regarded as a faceless developer. So yeah. some people, you just never no, be able to please. No, and they, um, they're nimbies, a lot but, of these but, people. But also, yeah. we've had meetings where a lot of these objections have been knocked on the head because we've spent maybe a good half an hour to an hour just walking them through the plans. Yeah. Please, people um, are not used to doing what we do all day long. They're not used to reconciling and interpreting floor plans, yeah. elevations, yeah. sections, making yeah. sense of what's happening you present an area of green on a roof, yeah. it's a green roof only for maintenance. They think, yeah. oh, well, hold a second, you're going to be playing uh, ball games out well, there and that it. sort of stuff. The, they don't we, understand we've what they're looking at. we put a massive green roof. Yes. And so many people have said that to me. Yeah. Oh, there's going to be 
sort of this is going to be for recreation and party. I'm like, the engineer's never going to let anyone Absolutely, out there. And yeah. it's dangerous. And, yeah. and no, yeah. it's it, it, it sedum to absorb the rainwater and then and then control the discharge absolutely and yeah. the, the difficulty is that if you let objectors run away with on a frolic of yeah. their own <laughs> yeah. um, a frolic with, that's with, what they with, do with with their all own these thoughts. ideas absolutely yeah. and yeah. they get carried yeah. away they start writing to ward councillors. Yeah, that's true. Ward councillors, you've start, got to get them involved. Start calling, yeah. start calling the applications. The officers, yeah. Often the the rules of what goes to committee and what and yeah. what does not go to committee is determined by the council in a legal document called the constitution, which is a wrapper to a whole bed of rules. And within that wrapper, there's something called the scheme of delegation, and that scheme sets out at the thresholds which will determine. When an application has to go to committee mm. and when it doesn't. Yeah. Now, um, I don't expect your listeners to make themselves familiar with a scheme of delegation, but it often makes interesting reading because we're in a situation where we had a matter that was delegated and then there was a problem with the consultation period that had to be reconsulted, which meant that people who had not objected in the first place and it could have gone to delegated powers because it was within the thresholds so were below a certain number of objections and those numbers will by the way they will differ where you wherever you are in the council which council yeah. some councils will have a threshold of two or five yeah. or ten so um or you'll have situations where if there is no there are no objections from residents yeah. or x number but whatever it is if there's an objection from a local residents association it automatically has yeah. to go to committee yeah. So those that right? sorts of things, yeah. Mm. No, that will differ depending upon what yeah, the scheme yeah. says. In the constitution. But, but, in, but in the scheme, sometimes... So we had delegated, and then it was reconsulted, so it dragged out the period of time, which meant that then there were more objections that came in at the last minute, which then took it over the threshold. Yeah. It was due to go to committee. And what was the threshold, roughly? The threshold Often. was um, at three or more it goes to Objection. committee. So it was very, very low threshold. Mm. But uh, we and what's, meant, what's average? Usually about five. Hmm. Yeah. So do you know what? I don't. A petition don't only counts as one, by the way. Does so it? if you get a petition yeah, yeah. with a, with a hundred oh, people signing, yeah, yeah. then you say to their and you say to the council, so that was only one one, one yeah. objection. If you get uh, somebody writing in from a house and they write in again, still only one objection. Yeah. If the person writes in and his wife writes it writes in. Two. Still one objection. Oh, is it? It's one household. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to do it by, by households. Okay. But also, the scheme will often refer to material objections. Mm. So if you've got prior approval, mm. and then you put in an application to say, well, okay, well, we want to amend the roof yeah. line, so on and so forth. Um, and the objections come in against the... Um, you get one objection, say, against the, um, the appearance of the roof yeah. line, yeah. and another objection against the fact that you're having... Um, all these extra number of units and yeah. all these parking spaces. Yeah. Crime. It's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Antisocial behaviour. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. And the faceless developer, yeah. of course. Yeah. Don't forget the yeah. faceless yeah. developer. Yeah. Um, then the first objection is material yeah. because it related to the roof. Yeah. But the second objection, because it related to the number of units and the number of parking spaces, yeah. which was a prior approval matter, yeah. is not material. And so you can convince the officer that they have to disregard that in terms of counting the number of objections. Ah, that's interesting. That's very interesting. So yeah. sometimes knowing the detail of this stuff is particularly important. Yeah, because a lot of the time the objections come in and they're about a load of nonsense, which mm. is not relevant. Yeah. Like, 
don't think it will be good for the area. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. Is that an objection? No, it's not. Well, you have to it's put not it in a valid objection. It's not a valid objection. So therefore, it doesn't count. So it, it's it's about in the same category as saying it harms house prices. Yeah. So so is that a valid? Does that count in terms of Well, they'd of the have five? to say not. No, not really, because they'd have to specify why it's not good for the area. Yeah, but a lot if of you them say won't, it's just, not good yeah. for the area because yeah. it doesn't. Um, it's not good for the street scene. It, yeah. Um, it's, so that's it's valid. Disruptive. It's yes, because yeah. you put it in the material terms. Yeah. But you can't paint windows into men's souls. You can't try and interpret what yeah. they're thinking. They need yeah. to, people need to be specific. And if they're vague, then you have the opportunity to go back to the officer, depending upon how Lots robust are officers vague, are, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and say it's, it's, it's not really quite on point. But no. I think often if you are in a situation where you have objections against the scheme, I think it often works very well, depending upon the neighbour, depending upon the, the, the resident, the person you're speaking to, if you are then seen to cooperate with them, revise yeah. the scheme to meet their concerns. Through the officer, like because, through the officer, because, or, or, yeah, through the officer, because you can just end up in these protracted, nonsensical sort of can circles do. with these can individuals do. and can get do. nowhere. Can so do. you sort of, right, I've taken you... Yeah. Your, um, your your comments on yeah. board, we're revising the scheme, and then deal with the officer. But you've got to also think about how long it takes for things to get written up by the officer or go to committee. Yeah. The officer may be away on holiday. Yeah. There may be delays. Sometimes the, you want to be dealing directly with the owner. Yeah. Um, you don't want to lose control of that. Certainly at all times keep the officers in the loop mm. about it. Yeah. Um, and also, if there has been a ward councillor who's involved, keep them copying yeah. as well. Yeah. We've had situations where we've managed to get the ward councillor to withdraw an objection yeah. or to withdraw a call-in. Yeah, have you? Now, often, that, that, that information doesn't get back to so the if they call it in, and the obje- Because there's a time lag often yeah. between revised proposals yeah. being s- submitted to the council yeah. and being posted online, mm. you often find that the objection that you're speaking to the neighbour about that they submitted was, is now out of date because they've not taken into account the fact that there's revised proposals that you've now submitted. And so you so now need you to get, get them go out to, for re-consultation. They need to go but then they haven't. They and have to re-object. Yeah, they? And they, yeah. Do they have to re-object? Um, they, they would have to re-object. <laughs> and they don't because but, they don't realise the yes, process. But if they yeah. still have an objection on yeah. the record, even though it's against the now Previous superseded scheme, then you still have to get them to formally withdraw that objection. Oh, you do? Right, Yes. There's all sorts of issues, and we can go on forever about these sorts of things. So when a ward councillor calls it in, does that mean it's going to committee? Usually, yes, because that's... I've never had that done to me. Well, usually what we do, we go to the ward councillors beforehand, so this is what we're doing, what do you think? And 90% of the time they go, fine. Yes. Sometimes they come out and have a look. I talk them around it. And they're like, okay, is it going to be like this? Is it going to be like that? The units aren't going to be too small. Mm. You're not going to have any bedrooms without any windows. And I know the officers won't. Yes, whatever. And then they usually happen, then they go. Well, larger schemes, that would make sense. And I would understand that you would do that. But you have, and a lot of your listeners would not normally do this on smaller schemes, particularly if you've already got prior approval for going up into the roof, for instance. Yeah. And all your application is concerned about is changing the pitch, putting some roof lights and some dormers in to try and make those units work. Yeah. So in those cases, you think, well, it's pretty bog standard, and yeah. we 
And see, the thing is, other people try and play the game with it because they know that you need those roof, roof alterations in order to make the scheme work. Mm. Uh, and so they'll try and stir up all sorts of nonsense with it in any event. So it's about trying to control the prospect of people forcing design changes yeah. on you. Yeah. Um, stop them from um, stirring up ward councillors. Yeah. Um, or placing pressure on a committee to refuse a scheme against officers' yeah. recommendations. Yeah. So um, it often it helps to take the sting out of objections. But as you say... You have to be um, fairly cute about how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it, and so on and so forth. And um, there are all sorts of ways in which you can do it, writing letters, local ex exhibitions, roundtable informal presentations. You have to probably speak to your planning consultant or your PR consultant about what seems the best thing to do for mm. that particular case. Yeah. Um, but um, I think, if I may, just, just generally round up on... My five top tips in meetings with residents and neighbours. Far away, David. So um, the first thing I do, I, I do, let's imagine you're in a situation where you're presenting to neighbours, you've hired out some space in the local community hall, you've got your boards up, it's all presenting the benefits and what it's going to do for the community, and you've got people coming along to the presentation during the day or in an evening, and you're going to talk them through the scheme. Some of these people... A neutral, some of them are for it, um, but and there might be one or two who's going to kick off. And there's always, the, yeah. there's always usually, you may yeah. have maybe, let's say, yeah. um, 50 people. There's usually only one or two who are the main ringleaders and yeah. trying to stir trying everybody to get else everyone up. else on board. So it's yeah. all about trying to figure yeah. out who those people and, are. And then neutralise them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So In the eyes of the others. So find out yeah. where they live yeah. and what their concerns yeah. are. It's an opportunity for them to sound off. Yeah can be a bit of a cathartic exercise yeah. for them. Let some steam off. Do you know what? You're right. Yes. Or I yeah. wouldn't necessarily, I would yeah. never say that they're right. I would yeah. say that's a very good point. Yeah. I think it's an excellent point. And compliment them about yeah. it. I know Rob's favourite is thanks for the feedback. But yeah, that but sounds that, a little no, bit no, 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 no. I, don't, I don't think that works. <laughs> that's the sort of thing I'll say to my wife when, um, <laughs> when she's annoying me. <laughs> thanks for the update. Yes, thank you. <laughs> But they feel they've been listened to in yeah. a way. You're kind of inviting that. And you then need to describe the scheme briefly to them, even if they think that they know what the scheme is about. Ask their permission. Yeah. Would you mind if I just simply walk you through very quickly what the scheme is, what we're proposing to do, yeah. and when we can talk about how that particularly relates to you and where you are, yeah. okay? So much of the time, people object to what they don't understand, often out of fear of change. Mm. So if you are helping to make them understand, because they may be thinking, don't like that area where they're going to have ball games yeah. at, on, on two or three stories up. But hold on a second, that's a green roof. Yeah. Okay. So no one's allowed out there. So no one's allowed These out These are the reasons there. why. Maintenance purposes yeah. only. And yeah. for something we'll come on to in a moment as well you will be extra protected through that because there will be planning conditions yeah. that will prevent us from doing so. Mm. And if we breach those planning conditions, we're in trouble with the council yeah. and we, we'll have to stop. Deep schlock. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so the, other, the, the next point is really important. These people can get very heated with you. They'll stop jabbing and finger pointing in mm. some cases as well. Yeah. Um, particularly if you say, thanks for the feedback. <laughs> 
Um, so, um, d- but don't get drawn into an argument. It's really important to keep your cool, keep mm. your calm about that. Keep on saying, that's a very good point. Thanks for noting that. Have a few stock phrases in your mind mm. ready for those particular situations. Let them speak. Mm. Then have take a pause because pauses and silences in in these can help to let the temperature come down a little bit as well. Um, and it, I can understand it can be very annoying and objectors can get under your skin about it, but it's not personal. Mm. Don't take it personally. There's usually something behind it in terms of their fear or their concerns. Um, so take a note of what they're saying as well, because there will need to be feedback forms. Get them to encourage, encourage them to sign feed, feedback forms so that you can then round up afterwards with the team yeah. and go through these points as well. Um, and uh, distill their concerns down to particular points. So there will often be a, tur- a, a tirade of, a, of, of complaints about it. Yeah. So a good tactic is often to say, okay, can I help you to try and distill these concerns so that I can understand yeah. them in the language that yeah. we have to work? Yeah. So you're then trying to focus them away from an emotive state of being towards a more rational state yeah, of being. Yeah, an objective uh, yes. sort of place. Yes, it's a halfway... Yeah meeting point towards your objective. You're not necessarily going to drag them all the way to your point, but you're changing the temperature of the conversation, the tone of the conversation. So work with that if you can. Um, you'll expect the usual faceless developer BS, um, even after the meeting. Um, you've just been standing in front of making them. all the money. <laughs> you're just taking yeah. their abuse for the yeah. last half hour, and yeah. you're still a faceless developer, yeah. so you, know, you, you can't please everybody. Yeah, but, but, but the other... The other people in the room who are probably the most important ones because yes. that they've got the bulk of the yes not votes but potential objections mm. will probably have decided you're no longer a faceless developer even if the finger pointer is yes. saying you are yes. yes and if you've dealt with the finger pointer quite well put up with quite a lot and you know, brought some good points out, they're probably going to be a lot more convinced, even yeah. if the finger pointer isn't. Yeah. And don't let the finger pointer monopoli- monopolise your time for those reasons, yeah. Mark, as well. Mm-hmm. So also highlight the benefits and the needs of the area as well, also very important, because with a lot of this, it can be often very, very um, uh, leading towards a sort of a more negative tone. So you're trying to balance the mood of the conversation, always yeah. trying to bring it back to the benefits um, and the needs of the area. Um, and indicate to them some control and some direction. So there's a few tips within this. Um, it kind of gives them a level, a level of comfort. It gives them a level of assurance as well. Yeah. They don't understand the planning process. You're trying to understand that you know, their interests are going to be looked after here. So telling them that you know, there are going to be planning conditions to deal with materials or design or prevent the use of green roofs and that sort of stuff as well. Uh, try to rephrase their concerns the matter for planning conditions. Mm. So you can deal, deal with that. Always try and give them something to keep them busy afterwards yeah. as well. Because if they are busy doing something else, they're not going to necessarily be time to write more objections. Yeah. So um, one thing that you can do is to say, well, if you're concerned about the materials, write to the officer yeah. and say, we'd like to see the following materials. Because those materials, we're going to have to agree on planning yeah. conditions afterwards. The officers can then take that into account. So you're 
kicking the can down the road with it so it doesn't get in the way of an, yeah. uh, as an objection, this one. Another one is particularly if you're outside London, you have what's called non-unitary authorities. You have the borough council, district council who yeah. decides the application. Highways matters tend to be dealt with at county level. Mm. So what often happens is there's a little bit of a political tension often between the county and the borough and the district. And the and members the, well, don't it, like to be, the members at the yeah. borough district level don't like to like be the, the parish one. council. Yeah, no, yeah. the parish council is slightly, it's, it's, it, that, you get parish council, less, then yeah. borough district yeah. council, then county council. Yeah. So highways matters, traffic flows, parking, yeah. those are big issues often yeah. for, yeah. and the hot potatoes for yeah. residents. But the, it's a county matter. Yeah. So the county has to be consulted and they will deal with your transport mm. consultant. But you'll often get the people on the ground who don't agree with that because mm. they say they have a different experience and they know better because they live there. But often, if it's sorted out at a technical level, you can get them to say, well, okay, if you still don't agree with the county, speak to your borough or district yeah. member who will give you your county representative and then speak to them. It probably won't change the way in which the county work, but these people will be busy with their own lives, with uh, shopping, with family, with work. And then they've got to try and find the time to speak to their borough, uh, borough member to find out the county member and then to write to them as well. So you're appearing to be helpful by, mm. whilst giving them stuff to do in the meantime mm. and keeping them away from being a keyboard warrior mm. against your scheme. Yeah. Um, but also it makes it politically more palatable for the, the, the body that actually decides your application, such as the councillors at borough or district level. Because if they have to approve a scheme, but they can say, we well, you know what, we don't like the highways matters, but that was really a county matter, they can kind of blame their county mm. colleagues about mm. it. It's kind of pushing the responsibility onto Somewhere somebody else. else's shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. So you're making it somebody else's uh, issue. 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 Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's a good one for that. Yeah. David, I think everybody has got more than a few morsels uh, out of that uh, out of that sort of deep dive into into planning. Um, I love the shimmies. I love the chutzpah. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think we, we've had some fun. Um, how can people get in contact with you if they want to use your services? Because obviously you're you're helping with people. Yeah. You're helping people with planning matters on a daily basis. Uh, well, my email address is uh, the the main one. It's david at drkplanning.co.uk. David at drkplanning.co.uk. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook uh, and through LinkedIn as well. So um, all that remains is for me to say thank you very much, Mark. And thank you, David. That has been Mark Homer and David Kemp for Mark My Words.